And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. the last time Annette and I were here is when you had that, you opened up after COVID outside on the parking lot for the remote service. Anybody remember that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. You guys remember that. Come a long way already. You got to leave the building. I come back to the building and it could be back in the building, air conditioning building. I can't be up there because that just blows cold air straight up my back. I don't know how you guys do it on the worship team. But anyway, I'm going I'm to do it anyway. But I just want to say, um, as we meet together to, get, to, to hear what God has to say to us, as a posture of prayer and of thanksgiving, uh, as a district superintendent, which basically, for those of you that are brand new in the Wesleyan circles, what does that mean? It basically means that we are a network of churches, best, best, the best way to say it. We have a, a district area. Our district happens to be Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And so then you have a district superintendent over that, and then over me would be a general superintendent. So you have a local church board, a district church board, and then a general church board. So there's a lot of layers of accountability, but the way I like to look at it, it's not a lot of bureaucracy. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, limit what God's doing. It actually spreads it and opens it up and allows for creative things to take place. And so what is it? why is this guy up here? I'm just talking and rambling just to say hello. I'm not really. Um, I'm Mark's friend, and it was really good being last night with Mark and Terry catching up. Mark actually was in, a, in Annette and I, our wedding, actually, um, and he hasn't changed a bit. He was running up and down the aisle. I don't know what his deal is. But uh, how many lattes have you had today, bud? Three. Three, and he has a sword. What happens with four? Anybody? We don't even want to know what happens with four. Um, let, us, uh, let us open up in a word of prayer as we go to God, uh, as we continue. Father, thank you for your word. It is holy and awesome. You are powerful. You are great and mighty. And it is a privilege to be in this church today. Father, not only to be in this church, but to think about uh, what happened to get this building where it is and the saints that have been here. As we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters all across denominational lines, all across cultural lines, all across generational lines. We thank you for the true gospel, the word of, that you've given that's spoken and transforming lives today. We deal with your word and your truth. We ask your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and that we would uh, be receptive to hear the words that you have to speak only because they're the words of life and truth. And what man may say could help a little bit, but it doesn't really penetrate to the depths of our heart. We want to hear from you today. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So how many of you know what it's like to be driving down the road after a long, hard trip only to see your house in sight? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Our youngest son, Levi, was a homebody. He looked up at Annette when he was younger and said, Mama, I'm never going to leave home. And so she said, oh, that's great. And he said, Mama, I'm serious. I'm never going to leave home. He couldn't get out of the house fast enough when he graduated from college. 
Uh, and so, but he, Levi, when we traveled, we had a, I don't know, we, we lived in Albuquerque at the time. We started a church in Albuquerque, and we um, went to San Antonio. Remember Alamo? Any Texans here? Anyway, we go to, uh, yeah, yeah, if you say that in Texas, the whole place erupts. You say in Oklahoma, you get a little courtesy laugh. Anyway, so here we are, uh, and so we come back, we go to the Alamo, we come back, and Levi just went into it. He was about two years old, maybe less than two, and he just went into his room and just lay down and wet himself. He just peed himself. He was just so happy to be in his room. You guys are like, do babies do that? Well, as adults, we see stuff sometimes that we say, or maybe you're craving that fa- favorite fast food, and when you turn the corner and you see that restaurant, you've got a restaurant in sight. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Or how about, not just a restaurant in sight, but how about your favorite shows in sight? How many of you can't wait to get home from work and to binge watch something else? You know what I'm talking about. You're there. Or uh, for me, I'm a pilot, and, uh, and I fly, uh, and so anytime I've had a long flight and I see a field in sight or an airport in sight, that's a good day. You know that you've arrived there, right? But what about God? What kind of church does God have in sight? You ever ask that question? What does God have in sight when he sees a church? I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to Colossians 1. We're going to be in the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapters 1, verse 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I have my Bible here. I also have the version. Anybody have the version app? If you do have the version app, if you don't have the version app, I would highly recommend that you get it. I like to promote it. I like to talk about it um, because it was invented. Uh, it, was, it was gifted to the church through the Green family who owns Hobby Lobby and Mardell. They actually gave Life Church a million-dollar uh, fund to go ahead and start it, and they started it. And so, I mean, they have a desire to get the Word of God to every, every, um, every language that's out there. So as we read the book of Colossians, I want you to stop and think about this for just a second as we kind of give a background. The book of Colossians is not a new book uh, in terms of what the church means. It's apostle, you know, it came from the, the scriptures. We have what we would call, we would refer to oftentimes as textual criticism, which we know is the word of God that was given through the apostle Paul while he was in prison. It's called a prison apostle. And this is what he says. He's writing this letter in verses Colossians 1, 1 through 2. This is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae with, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. And that's it. That's the church that God has in sight right there. Two, two verses, bang, we're done. Let's get home. What are you talking about? Well, let's unpack this for a second. Because I want to give you a picture of historically what's going on in, in Colossae. Colossae is in southwestern, southeastern Turkey. Colossae is 10 miles from Laodicea. You may recognize the name Laodicea. The church that is referred to in, in Revelations is one of the seven churches that Jesus is writing to. Colossae was on a river. Colossae was a part of a her earthquake had taken place in 17 AD and probably in 60 AD. It hadn't, they were recovering. Colossae gets its name from the red dye that was placed uh, that they had there that would, would give the red wool that would go out. That's where they got the word Colossae because it comes from Colossium is the name of the red dye. But Colossae was starting to lose its influence in the culture around it. And so Paul's writing to them and is saying, hey, I want you guys to, there are a couple things that a church that God has in sight. Now think about where we are in our church in North America. How many of you remember what it was like on Sabbath when everything was shut down and closed? When the Sabbath, I just dated myself, when the Sabbath was like Christmas and Easter all over again, where you couldn't go, you couldn't even barely go to a fast food restaurant or even a gas station because everything was closed. Now, if something is closed, Chick-fil-A, you get mad on your way home. You know what I'm talking about. You know, those restaurants, like, what is, what is up with this? I mean, God's chicken sandwich is closed on, on Sunday. That's not right. 
So here we are in North America where the church is starting to shrink and our influence is shrinking. And Haddon Robinson says that we're no longer on home field advantage. Do I have to tell you that? The church is no longer on home field advantage. I stayed with uh, Mark and Terry. We stayed last night, and I got up early this morning praying and finishing up the sermon, and I went on a run. I'm I'm a runner, and I cannot believe how many churches are on a certain road not too far from where they live. And I think, man, you go to other places, and there's not a lot of churches, uh, but there's a lot of churches in Ponkin. So maybe you're not feeling that, but I can tell you right now that there's a lot of places, and even if you have big buildings, Annette and I went to seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, you have these huge buildings, 300, 400, 500 seats with 50 people in them. Just a monument that's built to Christianism, but they're empty. And so I want you to get this feel of what's going on. And Laodicea is 10 miles away, and now you have Colossae, and it's almost like the first rivalry is starting to take place, right? It's like OSU and OU right there, right there in the Bible. It's right there, Laodicea and Colossae. All right, I'm sorry, that was a bad joke. But anyway, as you look at this, as we start to see what's taking place, the local church is a community of people. You are the church, right? If somebody says, what church do you go to? Well, I go to Connect Church. Well, I go to whatever. No, the word church is, the word church comes from the Greek word eglesia, which means the called out ones. You are the church. You don't just go to church. You are the church. And in fact, the Holy Spirit lives within us, being the temple of God that moves freely through us and through our culture. You don't need a church building to go to church. If COVID taught us one thing, it taught us that God is not bound by these four walls. Now, we've, taught, we've preached that. We've talked about it. I've heard pastors say that all the time. I would have come to you three weeks before Easter and said, I'm going to tell you what, Mark. Tell your people your church is closing down. You're not going to meet for three to six weeks but you're going to be stronger and better than you were after it happened. Would you believe me? Would you guys believe that? We're, we're done. <laughs> it seemed like I know what I'm talking about. Just don't listen to Mark anymore. Just, just, just think about that for a second. And yet, I can tell you right now, as a district superintendent, a lot of our churches on their district, almost all our churches on the district, are better today than they were a year ago before COVID. There was this talking that, that, that if COVID hit, our people were not going to come back. And so a lot of pastors lived in fear. A lot of district superintendents lived in fear. They went into this, this dark place. I mean, why wouldn't you? We're going to close down. After all, the church needs to have in a building as an expression of God in order for it to thrive. That's what Paul's trying to go against here. And so the first thing, a church that has God in sight, number one, is you are in Christ. Paul's writing to this, and he said, to the faithful followers, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather be in a car or on a car? Would you rather be in a train or on a train? In a plane or on a plane? Like, wow, you are not on Christ. You are in Christ. Christ in you, you in Christ is the hope of glory of what God is saying. First of all, a church is marked by those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. You cannot be the real church of Jesus Christ if you have a pseudo name or a pseudo idea, or another God that you pay attention to. It's either all in or all out. And you know where we see that today? You know who uh, Bill Gates is? Founder of Microsoft? You, I mean, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm not a follower of Bill Gates, really, but you probably know that he and Melinda, like I, asked, I talk like they're best friends, like he and Melinda are getting a divorce. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? The founder, did you hear why? Because... Uh, 
there's a lot of reasons, I'm sure, but the, what the media brought out, which you can trust the media because they're real and you can trust everything they say. It's the best laugh we got. That he would go uh, on escapades with his ex-girlfriend for a week at a time, once a year. Women, you want to marry a guy like that? I want to marry a guy that's going to be faithful to me for 52, 51 weeks out of the year, and then that one year, a week out of the year, he's going to go do whatever he wants to do? We have made Jesus to be this mm, pleasantness. We've, we've basically just whitewashed Jesus, that Jesus wants us to be happy. We'll get to that in a second. You are in Christ. You are always move in the strongest directions of your strongest thoughts. If you are in Christ, you are defined by who you are in him, by not, but not by what you do. And so as believers, Paul's writing in the church. It's like he would write to us today. First of all, you are in Christ. That's the church. That is called out. What are you called out for? It's the second thing, is that you are defined by being holy, blameless ones. If you look at Colossians 2.6, you see, uh, Paul talks a little bit more about the holy saints of God. What does it mean to be holy? We hear this word a lot, holy. It means to be set apart, sanctified, cleansed, and clear for whatever God wants. You see, the word holy in, in the Old Testament means kadesh, to be cut. Cut from something. You are cut from something, but you know what? You're not just cut from something you're cut to something for a purpose when you become in christ there is a theological word it's called justified justified never sinned god forgives me of my sin and all the sins that i've done and the past background that i've had this is the best story you will ever hear in your life that no matter what's taken place no matter what you've done and no matter what's occurred in your life that you have a god who loves you completely who's forgiven you of your sins let that sink in for just a second. You are coming to church not just to be a part of a country club. You are called and coming to church to be a part of God's family in which God brings us to him so that he can lead us to others. I like it like this. We're saved to save. We're helped to help. To help. And so as you walk into holiness, then all of a sudden you, you walk away from those things, those desires that used to catch your attention, you used to be pleased with, you no longer have a desire or an appetite to do it anymore. That's how you know you're walking on in faith with God is the things that you used to do that used to bring you pleasure, you no longer want to do. You're cut from this sinful nature and you're cut to holiness for purpose to follow God into righteousness and truth and holiness. What does that look like? I don't know for you. I don't know. It looks different for all of us, but the end result is Jesus. You are looking more like Jesus every day. If you're not looking more like Jesus every day, you're not walking as holy saints of God. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. God says that. Because he loves you enough to bring you out of your sin and bring you into a relationship with him. It recently came to my attention that the millennial generation, this next generation that's coming up, doesn't even know what sin is. We have to define sin, what sin is. Anything that puts itself above God is a sin. 
You name it. You could talk about sexual immorality. You could talk about drunkenness. You could talk about, you could talk about um, uh, anger, fits, uh, fits of anger, malice, evil intentions. This is what Ephesians uh, 2 talks about. Galatians 6 talks about. You can talk about that all you want to. But let me tell you what, that's an idol. Anything that puts yourself above God is an idol and therefore is sin to you. In fact, Susanna Wesley the mother of John Wesley says, whatever dulls your consciousness and pushes you away from God, that to you, my son, is sin. Whatever that is. Binge watching Netflix all the way to running. Exercise. Can exercise get in the way of God? 100%. Somebody says, I can't even spell exercise, let alone do it. We like have fun about that. We are holy saints of God. We are defined as being blameless and set apart. Number three, a church that God... Uh, the church inside of God is we live our lives by showing ourselves faithful to the faithful saints of God. We show faithful in our transactions and our business endeavors. We show faithfulness to the truth of scriptures. We faithful to charge, we're faithful to do the things that God has called us to do. We're faithful. We will find ourselves faithful in him doing what he's called us to do regardless of how he finds us. What does that look like? Again, what does faithfulness look like? We know what faithfulness looks like when we walk holy before God and we do the things that God has called us to do. What you don't know about this story about Mark sharing is that I've had my ups and downs. Annette and I have had our ups and downs. We started a church. We started two churches. One succeeded. One did not. We learned more from the one that didn't than the one that did. I moved back to Oklahoma Wesleyan. I was there for 11 years. I was the dean of online. I directed the Josh McDowell Center for for apologetics while I was there as well, started cross-training, which is an ordination pr- uh, program for our Wesleyan pastors. I think Pastor April and Pastor Kenneth will be going through that. I think we've talked about that. It's been the single largest ordination program in the Wesleyan church, and God just called me to do it. I didn't get paid for it. I just did it because it was on my heart. Then God called us to Tucson, Arizona, and my son, Levi, who's 17 years old, uh, he graduated early from high school. He graduated at 17, just turned 17 and graduated from high school. He's crazy stupid. I mean, that sounds bad. I mean, he's smart. He took his ACT, had three weeks of preparation, and made a 32. So he's able to push through. We didn't know. I mean, we knew he was gifted and where he was. And God called us to Tucson. And all I knew is that I had this compelling to move to Tucson, Arizona. Now, I came from Albuquerque. And so we went to go visit Tucson. It was not a culture shock for me. That's, that's where I came from. And so, but Annette said, you know what, Devin, we thought that Levi would want to move and transfer, and, and Levi said, Dad, I don't want to move, I want to stay here. Well, I wasn't going to make Levi graduate from high school to, to go with me, so I said, okay, son, you can stay back. And Annette said, Devin, I'm going to stay back too. I'm going to stay back until Levi turns 18, because everything I've read says that when a student graduates from high school at 17, one more year can make all the difference, and I'm staying back. Oh, great. I'm going to go pastor a church by myself. Yeah, church running about 200 all by myself. Can't wait for this to happen. I had this compellingness, just compelling to go. It was a hard year. It was a hard year. It's a hard thing when you leave your kids as a dad. It's another thing for your kids to leave you because, well, they're supposed to because of college, right? I mean, you fed them for 18 years, invested $150,000 is what the Tables tell us in their, in their education and in their life giving. Push them out the door. That's another thing when you leave your children and both your children 
or going to college, and you're out of the picture. And there would be times I would call Annette before I had to preach, and I'd say, baby, pray, pray for me. I don't think I can. I'd be weeping. She'd just smile at me. You did this to yourself. No, she She's so compassionate. And then Jim Perry, the district treasurer who Mark was telling you about in this conversation, calls me in January and says, I think we want you to come back. We want you to come back and be the district superintendent. I said, do you know my story? You know I'm in Arizona? Yeah, I know you're there. I said, it doesn't work that way. You don't move all the way across the country, say goodbye to your kids, and wrap and upheaval, up, up in your life and move. Will you pray about it? Mm-hmm. God just kept calling me and calling me and calling me. And the reason why it was top secret is because I had just moved six months across. Can you imagine bringing your pastor in six months, feeling like you found God's person, praying through that, and in six months you're out of there? I said, I'd, we'd all be home. The day before we left, the Sunday before we left, a couple from the church in Arizona, because Annette had flown out to help us move back, and said, hey, Devin, what happens if the boat is no? Because we sold our house, we didn't have a job, we moved back to Oklahoma and just kind of waited out. That was Father's Day, and then the vote was third week of July. Five weeks and not knowing whether we'd be voted on or not. God had called us. We're going to be faithful. We don't know what it looks like, but we know we're going to be faithful to the step that God told us to do today, and the day was to resign and to come back to Oklahoma and just wait for the vote. So I come back, and that family said, what do you, happens if the votes no? I said, I've got a problem if the votes no. i got a listening problem. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You hear from God's voice, and then you work, and it's not God. You think, well, what do I hear? And the vote was unanimous. First time a unanimous vote has happened in any district superintendent is what I hear. And one of the pastors said, man, I didn't think we'd agree on anything. So here we move in faith. Faithfulness, that's what God's looking for. He's looking for faithful people. And so what does faithfulness look like to you? I don't know. Maybe it's one step in front of the other where you are at work. Maybe it's being faithful to share your faith and share your walk with Christ wherever you are. You are to be faithful where God has you. Please stay faithful. That's a mark of a church, of a people that God honors when you stay faithful to him. The fourth thing is, We've been made into a family, the brothers and sisters in Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ. We're joined by a sense of pride, of honor, of connection. I know Pastor Mark. We went to school together. Yesterday, he was talking about, I'm going to say this, Mark. Yesterday, we were talking. He was talking about finding a, a hat, that was, but he couldn't find a hat because his head was too small. I said, Mark, I know a lot of college friends, but I don't think they'd ever say that about you, buddy. Some of you guys let that sink in. But I'll tell you, it was so cool, because I remember meeting Terry for the first time 28 years ago. We were talking about people that we went to school with that are divorced, out of the ministry, disqualified. Blenda, Annette, Terry, Mark, and I, and the rest that stayed faithful, Shannon. We are marked by that. Now, it doesn't mean that you walk away. We can fall and do some things that we wish we didn't do. 
I would be remiss if I want you to, if I stood up here and said, well, I'm holy and nothing's bad happened to me. If my thoughts were thrown up here on this, on the, behind me, you guys would all leave here. I don't want to hear what he has to say. I'm not trying to promote myself anything, but I'm trying to say this. If you've fallen back down, get back up. Just because you dropped the ball doesn't mean it's fallen behind you. Just turn back around and pick it back up. Stay in community with each other. So why did Paul write this letter? I'll tell you why he wrote this letter. Because the church of Colossae was one time strong in their faith, and they walked away. And Paul was aware that they're about to walk away from their faith because they were being a part of the, um, the, 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 the doctrine or the theology of the day. Well, what was the theology of the day? Well, basically, the word Gnosticism, Gnosis, we get the word knowledge from. Gnostics taught that, that matter is evil, but that the spirit is good. And therefore, the idea was that Jesus was never really the Son of God, 100% man, 100% born. When he was born, he couldn't be born into man because man is evil and the Spirit is good. So therefore, when the dove, you read in the Matthew, when, when Jesus was being baptized and the voice from heaven said, Behold my Son, who I'm well pleased, that's when Gnostics taught that Jesus came into the man of Jesus and then walked the earth. And then right before Jesus was crucified, on the cross, when he stretched out his hands and said, it is finished, his hands were stretched out, he said, it is finished, that's when his spirit departed. And so this idea that matter cannot touch the spirit things, and so this philosophy was starting to come through the culture and was starting to ravage the church. And these guys were basically, basically bringing false doctrine to the church, and they were believing it. Well, what would Paul say to a church in Ponca City, a church in North America? This is what he would say. Beware of the deeply secularizing of the church. We have bought a lie because it's convenient. We have basically traded the nature of Jesus Christ for another culture that has brought us together. And so, therefore, we've let the, the culture tell us who Jesus should be. You know what I'm talking about? Because we've allowed that to, to, to be the case, we don't know where to stand on that. And this is why I'm going to get in the weeds, and I may not be ever asked to come back. But I'm going to stay on the truth. Because I can't do anything else but to preach God's truth in love. You have a secular culture who's told you that the Bible is not real, that it's a collection of wise maximums and thoughts and ideas, and you therefore shouldn't listen to it. But then we'll turn right around and quote 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and tell you that God is love and he will let me do whatever I want to do. You see the disconnect? We pick and choose who we want God to be, we throw it away, or we pick the things that we want and we pull onto it. And the church is saying, well, yeah, God's love. Yeah, 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 that's him. Do you know that Jesus is a warrior? Do you know he fights for you? Do you know that when we talk about this Jesus that has come to be with you, that when you allow somebody to tell you who he is without studying his word, you are on dangerous ground of sinking? Levi, my youngest son, he says to me, he says, Dad, uh, he was wrestling with his faith. He didn't even believe that Jesus was real. I said, son, I'm going to tell you something, bud. I said, I want you to go search for Jesus or search for whatever that is you're telling me about. And when you find something bigger and better than Jesus, would you come back to me and tell me? Because I want to worship that God. 
Some of you guys are like, I can't believe you said that to him. Why? Is there anybody bigger than Jesus? Is there anybody bigger than God? Challenge him. And guess what he found? There ain't no God like our God. Amen. Come on, bring it. You know what I'm talking about? That's exactly what we're talking about. So instead of being afraid of it, let's fight it. Let's bring it. Let's bring it. Go search and tell me if you found somebody bigger and better than Jesus. Wouldn't you want to worship somebody if somebody was bigger and better than Jesus? I mean, after all, the greatest value in, Muslim, in Islam is greater than. Greater than. The greatest love, the greatest value. I know uh, an apologist that came to Christ because Allah was not the greatest person, or the greatest God. Muhammad was not the greatest. Jesus was the greatest. Lay down your life for your enemies? Who does that? So the secularizing of the church, I can't even say it, has taken over us, and we have capitulated and bowed down to it because we're afraid of it. And let me encourage you, church. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 3 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. You want to know if you're walking with God? You're going to suffer until you get to heaven. People are, ridicule, are going to ridicule you and tell you who you are, who you aren't. But if you're reading the Bible and you know who you are in Christ Jesus, does it really matter what they think? Does it really matter? I have played the card when I tried to care what my people thought about me. People pleaser. About drove me into the grave. And I had to be free of it, and I had to realize, I really don't care what you think about me. I care what God thinks about me. And if I love what God loves about you, I will love you, and you will love me, and we will be a family of Christ. And I don't have to please you, and you don't have to please me. We have to please him. Lest you are concerned about this as parents, we just found out that we have a transgendered female male coming to camp. So we had to get on the horn to our lawyers. We had to get on the horn to our insurance company. We had to get on the horn to our district board and to our general. And we had to say, how do we do this? This is Oklahoma. Only to discover that we don't have a policy about transgendered in the denomination. We're working on it. We have some things out there, but we have to, we're developing an official policy. And I know this is online. And so we as a district board gathered together and said, our highest ideal is to love this person because this teenager has only been to church about six weeks now, two weeks into it, when was asked, hey, let's pray together. Ask the youth pastor, what's prayer? How do I do that? Those are who we're after. That's why we have teen camp, to introduce people to a Jesus who loves them. And so in this conversation, this person is welcome to come. They're our guests. We're inviting them to come and be a part of a camp. We want them there. But we also want this person to understand that the Bible's pretty clear that God made us wonderfully and fearfully. And it doesn't just mean our skin tone or our skin color. It means our XY chromosomes from the bottom of our toes to the top of our heads. We don't believe that God created us accidents. Now, we know that there's some medical conditions, but it's so few and far between. We also know there's wrestling with sexuality. I get it. I pastored a church two years ago in which I talked about being wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God, and I had teenagers leave the youth group because they had been taught in school that you're born this way and there's nothing you can do about it. Deeply, 
secularization of the church. You mean to tell me that God made you born this way? I have family members who are gay. I love them. But you know what? Those that are struggling in gambling, affairs, adultery, There's no sin out there that says yours is worse than mine. Why are we targeting a person's sexuality? Because we don't know it. The unknownness, our mind goes crazy. Jesus died for all of us or he died for none of us. And so we are going to let this transgender student come. We're not making accommodations. But we will love and we will encourage the student to find the real Jesus. And we will trust that the Holy Spirit will work in this student's life. In the same way that we will trust that the Holy Spirit will work in a life of a broken family. I came from a broken home. Both my parents have been married several times. They have found their way back to Christ. And it's been a beautiful thing. I don't know what's worse, to be honest with you. My dad, to this day, tells me, Devin, you know, that was really hard on you when your parents got divorced. Of course. <laughs> I'm the product. But you know what happened? I'm living proof of what God can do when you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and heal you. You see, what we're told in our culture is just to love the way you want to love and just be who you, call, who you, who you want to be, and that's sufficient. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Marxism has taken place, and they're now starting to separate us in groups. We can go off, and I don't want to get political, but it's happening. I already did. You're already getting political. Well, was it biblical before it was political? It was. So are we supposed not to talk about as district superintendent because I'm afraid of some whiplash and some feedback? Yeah, that hatred's out there. I've watched people walk away from ministry because they couldn't handle it anymore. And I can give you stories. Pastored with him on the district, on another district. It's, 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 it's painful. It's hard. It's real. But Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, don't give up. Not only do we have the deeply secularization of the church, but we also have syncretism, which we take this Jesus and this God, and we bring it together, and we make ourselves feel good. So we take the best part of this religion and the best part of this religion and the best part of this religion, and we put it together and then we feel good about ourselves. Only God is a jealous God. You can only worship God. And so our culture has told us that you, you will love God the way we tell you you will love God, and if you don't, then you just need to keep your thoughts to yourself. Except that doesn't save anybody and that doesn't help anybody. We either believe that we have the answers of eternal life and hope, or we don't. That's really what it boils down to, friends. We're either going to stand up for what God has called us to stand up for, or we're going to capitulate, and we're going to decline. So how do we, so what does that look like? I'm skipping through some notes here. So Laodicea, if you have your Bibles too, I want you to go to Revelation 3. What does it look like? While I'm doing that, I started reading a book called We Will Not Be Silent by Edwin Lutzer. 
Edwin Lutzer was the pastor of Moody Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois. He wrote this book, and I had to turn it off because I got depressed, and I had to take a deep breath, and I had to read it again. But he reminded us of the narrow road that Jesus is talking about. He talks about the, there's two roads in heaven, right? The narrow road that leads to life and the broad road that leads to destruction. And many are on the broad road because the broad road's easy. Let's be, fun, let's be real. The broad road is fun. The broad road is where we want to be uh, in terms of funny and living a life. But the narrow road are for those who walk in holiness. Now, let's, lest I make Christianity be this ho-hum-drum, boring thing, I think Christians have more fun than non-Christians. Because I don't wake up in the, in the, in the middle of, I don't, make, I don't wake up one morning and wonder who I'm sleeping next to. I don't wake up one day and have to wonder if uh, my kids are going to be able to eat because I did something I shouldn't have done. I wake up with Jesus smiling at me. Anybody ever heard God's voice wake you up in the morning? Seriously? You ought to ask him to wake you up in the morning. Seriously, ask Jesus to wake you up tomorrow morning. Because like, you're just wigging me out. You're a dude. I mean, guys don't talk like that. Just try it. Just try it. Just try it. Some of you ladies are like, yeah, yeah. Okay, listen to this verse. I'm meddling. You guys will never ask me to come back, Mark. I'm sorry, man. Revelation 3.14. Did the angel of the church in Laodicea. Now, remember how far Laodicea is away from Colossae? It's 10 miles. Okay, 10 miles. Uh, just across town. That was a little bit further away because it's not like you had donkeys or anything. But Okay, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witnesses, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You guys know that passage, right? You've seen that before. Verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. A passage of Scripture, when we hear about knocking on the door, is for those that are in the church already. This invitation is for all of us. You're not in the church or just the first time you've been to church in a while and you're hearing stuff that just blows your mind that you recognize you haven't asked Jesus in your heart. You can do that where you are. Some of us are hearing this and saying, man, I'm just, I'm uncomfortable with this. This doesn't make me feel comfortable. Well, go back to 19. Those whom I love and rebuke, I rebuke and discipline. We're not disciplined. We don't discipline our children because we're abusive and we hate them. We discipline them because we love them and we give them boundaries from which to operate and which to be healthy. My 19-year-old son, Levi, that was telling me, he's 20 years old now. Uh, my oldest son, Micah and, and Caitlin, uh, got married last May, and he is, uh, they're expecting their first child. I'm going to have a granddaughter. That's why I got this going on. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, my first granddaughter, and uh, my second is going to get married in December. And my second, by the time he was 18, had heard stories of other people, and he said to me, Dad, thank you for raising me right. How many 18-year-olds know to do that? I told you he's wigged out. He's just crazy. Well, what do you, what do you mean by that? 
thank you for coaching me and leading me. And I said, I told him when I was, when I was raising them up, you guys are going to do things different than I did as a parent. My oldest came back to me two weeks ago and said, Dad, I don't think we're going to do anything different. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for protecting his mind. Because I can't believe I didn't destroy him. Because Annette and I would tell you, man, there were times when we just thought, oh, I can't even begin to tell you how bad it was. You know, as a parent, you know what I'm talking about. But that discipline was there for a purpose. And now they're contributing to uh, society, and they love Jesus. And for those of us that have these success stories, there are some of us here that have a painful story of a child who's walked away. It doesn't mean that you stop. And so here's the beautiful, hopeful part of this passage of Scripture. Laodicea and Colossae were 10 miles apart. How far away is the next church from here? Across the street, Second Baptist and Life Center? But you've got churches 10 miles down the road. I think it would be fair to say that God could say the same thing in the geographical region, could he not? And so Jesus is basically saying, turn it on or turn it off, but don't keep walking down this mediocre path. Well, what we found out is the church in Laodicea had a, uh, in 168, um, according, I think it was just, uh, in 168, they actually had a martyr that took place. And in, in the third century, they actually had a church council that came together. But we don't hear about Colossae anymore. Which church ramped it up? Which church did God honor? church in Laodicea that said, I'm not going to be lukewarm anymore. We know if a martyr came out of that church, something happened in that church, and they stopped, and they said, enough's enough. I'm going to stop moving lukewarm. I'm going to move to a hot section of Jesus. Because if they had moved to a cold section, he wouldn't have blessed them. You know what I'm talking about? He moved, they, they got on fire for Jesus, and they said, enough's enough. I'm going to move in the direction of Jesus, no matter how painful it is. Because at the end of the day, the question you have to answer and I have to answer and everybody on this planet who has lived, is alive, or will live, will live has to answer this question, what did you do with Jesus? It doesn't mean that we bash people over the head. It doesn't mean that we abuse them. It means we love them the way Jesus did, and he was a God of truth. In closing, my boys um, joined the Boy Scouts, and one of them went on a, uh, went, we went to Philmont, which is the scout camp. This was years ago. Our, um, and so while we were on a shakedown, which is a preparation for this, we're in a shakedown perspective, uh, and all of a sudden, this, we hear this, please help me, and this person, uh, this couple's walking down the pathway, and a lady had fallen somewhere down and, and skidded her knees, and she just tore up her whole side of her body. It was just, her pants were shredded, and she was bleeding, bleeding and it was just, you can imagine. And so we uh, pulled her, and we attended to her bandage, and, they, and the husband was dehydrated, and you could tell they were just struggling, and they were wrestling. And so we said to them, what do you need? Well, we, we don't even know if we can get to the hospital. We'll just sit here and rest. We attended to their bandages. We loved them. We got them on the pathway. We got them in their car, and they said, thank you. Uh, we were ready to give up. And I got to thinking a little bit about that. You see, love gets them to a place where they are okay, but truth gets them to a place where they are healed. The truth was she needed help medically. 
If I just loved her and said, just hang on here, just stay here until you feel better, she would have died. But I'm going to love you and bandage you, get you ready to go, get you to a hospital. Can your husband drive you? Because if he can't drive you, we even said this, we will drive you. By the time he got some water and got cooled off, he was fine. I don't have all the answers. But we know somebody who does. And the love says, let's bring you to a relationship with Jesus and let the truth of Jesus impact you. It can take years. It can take months. It can take days. But a church that has God in sight is also a church. A church that God has in sight is also a church that we have in sight, that we have God in sight. So as you think through this, as you process and as you stop and reflect, I just want to pray with you right now. I am proud of this church. The growth has taken place. When I talk to your pastor and I hear him talk about how he wants to stay uh, in the faithful focus of what Jesus wants him to do, and he's not going to bow the knee to the culture, but he wants to know how to reach and communicate to it and love it. I'm all over that. Mark, let's, let's love this together. I don't know what it looks like, do I? Let's, let's love together. Let's figure it out. Blenda will tell us what to do, and we'll just do it, whatever that is. Whatever we need to do. It's messy. I don't understand it, but you know what? Let's stick to Jesus first. Let's not bow down no matter how much we're told we're haters and whatever we're called, because clearly he doesn't hate. You don't know me. I don't, I'm not a hater. I just know what Jesus has said, and I just know that truth works when it's given in its entirety, and you can't just take parts of truth and expect it to work. You can't. Any more than you could take parts of wisdom from a relationship and make a relationship work on half an effort. So here we are, and I want to pray for you. So if you'll just bow your head and your hearts, and maybe you're saying, this is connecting with me on a level that I just don't even know what to do, or... Maybe you're saying, I'm offended. I just can't believe you would talk like that. Good. Please. Go seek. Just like I told my son. Go find it. Go find the truth. If you want me to pray for you, I just want you to look up. I want to pray for you. You're saying, I just need, I need to let go, and I need to hold on to God. Amen. I want to pray. Amen. I see you. Praise God. Amen. The words this, amen, I see you. Say amen, I see you. I want the words to fester in my heart in a good way, marinate. And I don't know what to do with it, but I want to do it. Maybe I need to be bold and strong in my walk with Jesus, and that means that I need to know where to take the next step. You can call me. You can call Pastor Mark. Call Belinda. Call my wife, Annette. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this time together. Father, sometimes it gets heavy. You have told me that you want me to share with your church a global perspective. I try to do as best I can. Father, it's not easy to stand up here and to wrestle with the fact that people are struggling with so many things, listening to a world. But Father, somehow, some way, Jesus, when you speak into our lives, you have a way of making it right. I don't understand it all, but we're spiritual beings, and we can't live a spiritual life on a physical plane. And so you've heard the prayer request. You've seen the eyes. You've seen the hands. You've seen the hearts. You've heard them all, and you're working. I pray that you would be attentive to their pain and their hurt and their prayer concerns. I pray, Father, just as they, 
as a precise surgeon that understands how to weave in and out of our bodies, that you would do the same with our hearts, to connect us and to convict us and to teach us and to instruct us. I pray for this church. I pray for the influence of this church. I pray for the movement and the momentum that this church is getting. The fact that Pastor Mark has stood on the truth and has said, I will preach nothing but the full gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray you protect him and Terry, Jack and Lance. I pray you protect their staff. I pray that as they embolden and as they walk in faith and in conviction, that the mountains and all the things that they uh, have thrown at them, that they would have the compassion and the wisdom and the focus to be able to know what to say and who to say what to and when. Then, Father, I pray for each person in this community that is hungry for the truth, that you would draw them to this church or other churches that preach your word and your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you, Father, for the growth that's taken place and may it honor you. And as we depart, bless our Sunday. I know we've gone a little long, but I pray the words would just be life-giving, eye-opening, and transforming to the gospel. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our shortcomings. Forgive us of the things we do that hinder you and move us forward in holiness, Father so we can be holy, faithful saints gathered in community, serving you every step of our way until we hear the words from our Savior, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks, Rev. Deb. Was it great to hear him preach this morning? God is doing amazing things. We're so glad that you guys are with us this morning and be able to join us and online to be able to hear uh, a great message, a great word from God. I want you guys to go in peace this week. Next Sunday is Father's Day, and so every dad gets a gift, and we are glad to celebrate that with you guys. Go in peace and have a great week. Thank you, guys.